we shouldn't have to fight for freedom and justice. We could instead foster a society of freedom and justice. We just need to heal our minds, our perspectives, to align with love. I think it's the only way to foster equality, harmony, you know, balance, the peace that we're looking for, all of that, that comes from there. This is Anipi Radio, a space for authentic conversations around indigenous wisdom, science, lifestyle, and spiritual practices. The show is founded upon the belief that our most effective contribution to a more peaceful and harmonious world is for each of us to journey towards alignment with spirit, humanity, and nature. I hope your experience here serves as a source of depth, liberation, and joy in your life. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing a topic that is very close to my heart. They all are, I'm sure, but this one is one I've been grappling with for most of my life. It's a discussion that is ongoing, and it revolves around how do we give back? How do we uh, engage in acts of benevolence? How do we uh, help others? It's a, obviously a popular topic more today than probably ever before in history because of the proliferation of information around the internet, the transparency that it allows, and the ability that we all have at our fingertips now to be involved. And to some people, that's very overwhelming. Uh, to some people, it's more of a burden. Uh, I don't think it should be that way. I think the idea of giving back in general uh, is appealing to most people as a concept, but often brings strife and difficulty into people's lives. And we also know that on the other end, on the receiving end, we've, we've heard of obviously the, the issues of dead aid and uh, the contributing to a problem rather than sorting it out in some of our ignorant ways, albeit, you know, well-intentioned, but sometimes genuinely ignorant in the, in the true sense. And I want to talk a little bit about that, or actually, I want to talk a lot about that. <laughs> and I'm going to probably split this into a couple of series because it's way too much to pack into a, a, a short podcast. I constantly hear this conversation about you know, getting informed, being informed on a regular basis versus the, the, you know, the opposite side of that, you know, kind of, quote unquote, keeping your head in the sand. I think there's a balance. Uh, and that's, that's part of the, the dance of all of this uh, that we're talking about. I, I think that the negative information, the constant inundation of negative information from our media, and specifically from organizations that call themselves news companies, is bad for our health. <laughs> I, I think it's, uh, it's something that causes more negative energy through kind of a ripple effect uh, because we carry that around with us. We take it into our discussions at work and in our family. I, I don't think that, you know, taking in copious amounts of negative information is good for anyone. I also don't think that we should keep our heads in the sand. I think that it's something where we can find a happy medium, and I want to discuss some about that now. We're going to tackle some questions such as how do I give back effectively and ensure that I'm not actually contributing to the problem I'm trying to solve? Uh, I don't want to keep my head in the sand, but you know, I don't also want to bring loads of negativity into my life. How do I find a balance? Politics, policy, not sexy words, I realize, but they are important in this discussion. And most people don't care to talk about them. I get that. Um, you know, but if you take a shower, drive on a road, you know, turn lights on and things like that, you are benefiting from decisions made by your politicians. And I think it's important that we engage in that discussion. And our, you know, it is it, part of the question here, too, is, you know, is our government a reflection of society or is our society a reflection of our government or a myriad of other things? <laughs> uh, is it something entirely different? Who knows? So I want to discuss that a bit as well. Uh, if I'm focusing on my own self-actualization and consciousness, and I know a lot of you are, that's what this show is about, then what role, what role does uh, you know, benevolence and philanthropy play in that process? Is it a deterrent? Is it an enhancer? You know, what, what's the deal? 
it's a lot of heavy stuff. It's a lot of heavy discussion. Um, but I think it's important to have it. And I, I want to have it in as balanced and uh, non-bombastic kind of way as, as we can. Let's dive in. First of all, I want to talk about terminology. Let's get straight on the terms first so that we know we're talking about the same thing. You know, I, I could use a lot of different terms, uh, but I was deliberate about my choice to use compassion in the title of this discussion. Uh, and here's why. Compassion is a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate that suffering. And that's important. I think it's, it's what it is really is, it is a, it's empathizing. And it comes from the word, the, the Latin word, come, which means together or with. So it, it, it speaks also to our interconnectedness, I think. It's then obviously combined with the word passion, which is, you know, that powerful, strong kind of emotion or feeling or, you know, the strong desire for something. I contemplated, you know, the words altruism, philanthropy, empathy, benevolence, and others, and th things like that. The issue, I think, with philanthropy is I think that most people uh, kind of picture Richard Branson, you know, giving, giving away gobs of money or whatever. And I think that's a misnomer because I think that really philanthropy, and I, you'll see on my website and other places that I use philanthropy often because for, to, to encapsulate what I'm talking about here, because I think, you know, and to describe what I do, because I think philanthropy is a better term. It is a more holistic investment in the lives of others uh, for a long-term, uh, you know, long-time period. Uh, it's a long-term game, and it implies that both people are benefiting, the, the giver and the recipient. Uh, and I love that. Uh, and you know, more on that at some other point, and I, I've talked about that some in past uh, podcasts as well. So we understand what term we're using and why. We're using compassion. It implies you know, a lot about empathy and doing things together and passionate feeling, you know, strong emotions and so on, all these things. And we're looking at you know, how do we help people? Those things are going to come into play. So let's look at the pain points. You know, words like activism and philanthropy carry a lot of weight. You know, they sometimes frighten people and make them uncomfortable and so on. And I think for many people, they evoke emotions of discourse, conflict, servitude, martyrdom, you know, other negative concepts. I certainly know that in my life, that's been the case. I did a video on my YouTube channel, Planetary Evolution, which was kind of the first <laughs> evolution of what became NDP Radio. Uh, and on there, I did one called. Uh, something to the effect of, you know, does my activism make you uncomfortable? And asking the question then, you know, why? Why does that make you uncomfortable? I think that it's because it brings up kind of an uncomfortableness, saying, hey, this isn't right and, and we need to change it. And that makes people uncomfortable. I, I get that, but I, I think it's still worth the conversation. Another pain point, in the conscious world, I think, you know, in the consciousness world, if you will, the discussion is typically centered around that idea that I spoke to before in the intro here about negativity. You know, how do I do this? How do I balance this self-actualization journey that I'm on versus, you know, meddling in the lives of others, trying to change the world and so on, and then bringing that negativity in my world and so on and so on. That's a complicated, multi-layered discussion that we're going to get into as well as we go through this series. Uh, in, the, in the less conscious world, maybe, <laughs> I guess you could say, that of the masses, if you will, I think most people tend to simply just prefer apathy and numbness, period. I mean, we're kind of programmed for that. Our media does a good job of pumping that into our minds and kind of dumbing us down and, and keeping us apathetic and uninvolved. And in worst case scenario, I think numb. You know, we numb ourselves. I've seen that in developing countries that I've lived in where society just kind of became numb because the, uh, the, the magnitude of violence and oppression coming at them was so unbearable that it made more sense. It was more logical to just go numb. And I think we're experiencing some of that in the United States today as well. People in general are opposed to, unless they are a politician, they are opposed to talking about politics. Let's not talk politics. You know, we hear this at, you know, the dining room table for family events. Let's not talk politics. And then someone starts it and you all end up starting talk, talking about politics. <laughs> it happens anyway, but we, we have the, the initial kind of uh, repulsion of talking about politics for various reasons. And I can understand that too, trust me. I often <laughs> am the one saying, let's not talk politics at the table. 
because I know that I'm going to get heated up and it's probably not wise. People have tried their best to create a life as void of conflict as possible. We want to be comfortable. We're driven by our comfort levels. You know, we don't th- do things that are that, that could be extraordinary or, or risky or whatever because they make us feel uncomfortable. So we're, we're very much governed, I think, by the desire for comfort and safety and security as a, as a society worldwide. I, I think that conflict can be looked at in different ways. You know, it can be seen as a negative element, you know, that you want to avoid or an opportunity to grow and heal and evolve and so on. That's what conflict, I, I, I call it contrast, typically. So, you know, when there's a difficult situation coming up in my life or conflict or something like that, I say, this is contrast. Let's look at it. Let's just hold it out here in the hand, look at it, talk about it, discuss it, you know, authentically, earnestly, and have a, have a good conversation about it without all the intense emotions and so on and so on without the judgments. Maybe that's it. Maybe, I mean, maybe that's the thing is that conflict has so much judgment associated with it. And I don't necessarily feel that way. Like I I don't always, I mean, not to say that I don't trust me, I do, but I don't always uh, judge a situation as much as I'm just observing it. We're going to talk a little bit about observation and stuff too, as as we go here. That's one of my, one of my favorite uh, points of of the discussion is that difference between observation and and kind of focus and so on. My hope is to articulate some of the finer points of this discussion, uh, you know, so that we can find a balance. With an outline of a discussion, it implies that there's some sort of goal. Otherwise, why bother, right? Let's discuss the goal of compassionate or philanthropic action, you know, these acts of compassion. I think we can all appreciate the concept of peace in general, though I don't think we all know what it is exactly or, or can even fathom it to some degree, but I do think that we appreciate the idea of peace. It's a difficult thing to, to believe in, I think, these days, uh, but I do think it's possible. Our media machine has worked, obviously, very hard to desensitize us to the violence and tyranny, uh, so many people don't even recognize that there is a problem. You know, they're not even looking at this saying, oh, what, we don't have peace, what? You know, and if they do, they assume that it's better to avoid getting involved, unfortunately. Again, you know, we have a lot of that propaganda coming at us on a regular basis. They assume that their, uh, their involvement, first of all, isn't going to matter anyway. You know, and if they do get involved, you know, it's going to bring them down. So why would I do that? If it doesn't matter, if my involvement doesn't matter, and it just brings negativity into my life, then what's the point? You know, and I hear that argument a lot. I see that argument more even than I hear it. My belief is, in the wise words of Richard Rohr, everything belongs. That's a tough subject, uh, but even the nasty, deplorable stuff belongs, <laughs> which, which again brings in an interesting element of philanthropy. You know, if it belongs, then why bother? But my feeling is that the philanthropic efforts also belong. And that's maybe what this is all about. Those things belong, all of them. Figuring out how to balance that in your mind is difficult for any human, but I think it's worth the journey. I'm going to take a second here to go ahead and outline some of the goals that I think, you know, I want to talk about here in this discussion about compassionate acts. First of all, I think it's uh, an act, you know, when we engage in a compassionate act, it's also a, an act on our, you know, in and of ourselves to tap into our own empathy, to embrace our interconnectedness. And the choice not to engage feels sort of like a, you know, a deliberate choice to neglect our interconnected nature and that opportunity that comes with that. So number two, empathy and compassionate acts also offer us an opportunity to challenge ourselves, to refine ourselves on the journey toward self-actualization and alignment. You know, it helps us find out who we really are, you know, what we're made of, what's inside us. Uh, I think it was Abe Lincoln, you know, that said, you know, the, you find out the true character of a man you know, when they're going through difficulties, not when everything's all peachy. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing. 
Number three, our capacity for joy is a reflection of our deliberate choice to expand our capacity for empathy. You know, the joy of positively impacting someone's life, someone else's life, I think is incomparable to many other ways that we can find joy. Now, obviously, I can find joy in a sunset on the beach. That's joy. That's amazing. But if I compare that to the joy that I have experienced through, uh, for instance, you know, through adopting Francois, my, my son, you know, off the streets of Rwanda and the life experiences that have come out of that, I mean, it doesn't even compare. It's so, so different. And I appreciate both. What I really appreciate is hanging out with my son, watching the sunset on the beach, <laughs> to be honest. And again, I think there's the balance. So I believe that this is a space where we truly experience and appreciate God, that source. We experience that. We touch it a little bit. We tap into that. We come into that closer proximity with the feeling of God when we're serving others. You know, I, I love the line in uh, King Arthur that was inscribed on the round table, you know, in the legend of King Arthur, where it says, in serving others, we become free. How beautiful is that? Number four, influences others to do the same. You know, when we, when we act compassionately towards others, people around us, you know, are influenced by that. Typically, I think, in a good way. We engage in compassionate acts, you know, as part of our daily lives. You know, we adopt that perspective. I believe our, you know, if, if everyone were to do that, I believe that our world would heal organically, you know, from the inside out without all the need to firefight, you know, the symptoms. Well, you know, that's why I'm doing this podcast. I think that consciousness is the way, you know, wake, waking people up and awakening myself. It's not just about me going out and waking everybody up. I'm on the journey, too, just with, with everybody else. Just happen to have a microphone. Number five, in the end, the goal is peace amongst humanity and harmony with our planet. I'd go ahead and say that's a worthy goal. If that were the only one that I had outlined here, I think that's a worthy goal. It's worth getting into it, getting our hands dirty for the possibility of peace. And I realize that the possibility of peace doesn't seem so possible to a lot of people, but it is. The choice not to actively, you know, engage is, I think, a, a choice to kind of step out of our interconnectedness. Um, uh, you know, to, to deliberately expose our minds to the struggle of the world. It's tough. I get it. Um, but we, we, I think it's a vital part of our self-actualization, you know, that, that allowance. Additionally, I think it's uh, an obstruction of one of the, you know, the primary mechanisms of our existence that builds resilience and strengthens our faith for us to not be involved with the rest of the world, to understand what's going on in the rest of the world. Um, it gets in the way of our, you know, if we, do, if we don't do that, we, it gets in the way of our self-actualization and our building up of resilience. Think about, you know, if you've been hit, you know, in the ring over and over again, you build up a resilience to be able to say, okay, the next time I'm not going to freak out. The next time I'm not going to hit the ground. The next time I'm not going to go be depressed and so on and so on. You need that resilience. We all do. And I think the more we open up ourselves to, you know, other people's struggles, not for the purpose of punishing ourselves or making ourselves resilient, I'm just saying it happens along the way. So without contrast, uh, we're not pushed to the limits to find out who we are. So let's talk about social indicators. I constantly get feedback from people you know, often people very close to me about the tendency, to, my tendency to obsess over the world's problems. And I, guilty, <laughs> I've done it over the years, I have. Uh, I feel that I'm coming into a balance now, but I have done it, certainly. 
I get accused of, you know, carrying the weight of the world around on my shoulders. And I've heard that since I was probably 10 years old. But, you know, in the last four years or so specifically, I've worked very diligently to find more of a healthy balance. And I'm still on that journey now, the red road, together with you. When I see an injustice, I'm inclined to, you know, expose it and do something about it, try to change it. You know, not because I believe I have to, I don't. But because at this point in the game, I, I recognize that it's an opportunity. Uh, you know, if I go about it in a, health, in a healthy way, from a healthy perspective, with balance, without being bombastic, I'm essentially deliberately imposing a process that will help refine me into alignment with spirit, humanity, and planet, which is what I talk about on this show. It hopefully will help me to expand my capacity for joy as well. I mean, if it is intrinsically connected to my capacity for pain, those two kind of buckets are, you know, in your soul are connected, I think, you know, and as one grows, the other one grows. It doesn't matter which one it is. They're both growing the other one. That's tough, I think, for some people to buy into, but I do believe it and I've seen it. I've seen it so much. I also think that it has a possibility to influence others, you know, to engage similarly, which is, you know, that's worth it, you know, to, to, to create that ripple effect. And, you know, to do, that's part of my own contribution to world peace. There's a difference now, you know, I, I alluded to this earlier, but there's a difference now, I, I think, between observation and focus. So if I, if I see something going on, like what's going on in Syria right now, I can talk about that. And it can bring a lot of weight into the room. And, and, and people get, you know, upset about that. You know, if it's a political system or, uh, you know, a sickness like human trafficking or, you know, again, like a situation in Syria or whatever. If I obsess about it and allow it to drag me down and, you know, influence my psyche, I see that as a problem. Or if I understand that it's simply an indicator of the perspective and beliefs of our society, then I just use it as information. I've made an observation. I am now informed and I can move forward with that knowledge. That's different. I think that is part of the, the, the red road self-actualization journey is to be able to find that balance where you can say, okay, I've now made an observation. Yes, I felt some emotion in that. And maybe I felt really deep emotion for a minute. Maybe I cried. And then I came back and I said, now I'm going to take that information and use it as an indicator of where society's at from a perspective standpoint. I'm going to take that and move forward. If I choose to focus on something versus simply observing it and using it as an investment you know, in our understanding, you know, that's a negative. But, but there is a balance there, and, and I, want to, I want to use it to move forward. You know, these observations help me know where to direct my efforts, what mediums to use. You know, they kind of tell me how I go about it. These are social indicators. You know, if I have my head in, my, in, in sand or whatever, I, I can't be aware of these social indicators. I, I'm not, they don't come into my vortex. You know, they don't, I don't see them. That's the benefit of being informed. I can inform myself to the extent that I get very angry and depressed like I used to, or I can just be very deliberate about the source of information that I pull in. I, can, I have a well-curated Twitter feed, for instance, the people that I follow and trust, sources that I follow and trust. And I get my news there. I haven't watched a regular news station in years. So I think we need to inform ourselves. You need to find that balance, you know, but inform yourself. Do it with balance and moderation. Adjust your lifestyle accordingly. Lead by example. Amplify the message. You know, but I think we need to be in tune with the social indicators that are going on around us. That's part of the dedicated commitment. You know, it's tough sometimes, but I think it's important, you know, and I follow, you know, Democracy Now! is where I get a lot of my news. Uh, Collective Evolution is where I learn about kind of current events and things like that. Uh, you know, and again, I mentioned my Twitter feed. That's another place that I just kind of curate my own information and that's it. I, I don't get inundated with news. I haven't watched nightly news in, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, 15 years. Uh, you know, and I, I have to be delivered about, about the energy you know, that I'm bringing into my life, you know, so I, I let little bits of it in to check things out, see what's going on. And then I, you know, make a podcast and try to be positive about it. Uh, I have to live, you know, the example of the message that I'm sharing with you and others through my lifestyle, 
So I need to be in tune with society, uh, my community, and 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 every everyone around me. You know, but I need to understand their struggles, and I need to uh, to live more interconnected lifestyle that serves them and myself and my own journey towards self actualization. Again, that's part of the balance. Okay, so let's talk about politics. That's one nobody likes. Let's start with what the word actually means. Politics. It comes from the Greek word politikos. Uh, it means of, for, or relating to citizens. Uh, it's the process of making decisions applying to all members of each group. Interrelationships among communities, it refers to, and this is the most important one, I think, it refers to the way we organize ourselves as a society. Seems as though we should all be interested in that subject, though not many are. Now, what do the politicians do? They make policies. Policies are a statement of intent to facilitate a specific goal to a standard or regulation or whatever, and you know, as it relates to how we organize ourselves as a society. Again, it's about how we organize ourselves as a society. That's how we create social agreements. Like, what is our social economic agreement? It's capitalism. We need to start there. We need to start with what is politics? What does it mean? Should I or shouldn't I be involved? So many people are against talking about it, yet political conversations tend to also dominate the airwaves, even though we're all opposed to talking about it, which is interesting. I think that speaks to the importance of politics. It's not like we are all clamoring to do it, but it still happens. So we are ultimately making the choice somewhere along the lines. It's more common for someone to discuss the intimate details of a personal relationship on Facebook or whatever than it is for them to discuss who they voted for. Like somehow that's a secret, but not your love life. Let's start with the stance of, I'm not political. I don't get into politics. It's not my thing. Fair enough to some degree, but... Let's break it down a little bit. If you live on a piece of land, use water, electricity, drive on roads, you get the idea. This isn't some new idea I'm throwing at you. But you're benefiting from policies made by politicians attempting to ensure those benefits are in place for you to enjoy. You know, and I'm not, I'm not by any stretch saying that you know, all politicians are doing great things. We know that's not the case. But nonetheless, those things are happening and they are orchestrated by politicians. So again, there's a yen and a yang. You know, your choice not to be involved with those decisions is certainly your own. It just seems odd that you wouldn't want to be involved in that. Your belief that, that political decisions are always based on your best interest and, and you know, that of the planet or whatever, I, I would say that's a, that is a fallacy. That is most certainly not the case. I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a second. If you're inclined to complain about an aspect of politics or any other form of social agreement, you might want to consider your role in those agreements. You are playing a role. If you truly have a desire for a peaceful, harmonious world, I don't think that you can simply opt out of some level of involvement or discussion around politics, especially if you live in the United States, the most influential and impacting country in the world. So not only are those decisions affecting you, they're affecting people all over the world and policies that are being made, most of which the majority of society has no idea what's even going on. Uh, society's apathy, if you will, plays a role. It's just as impacting as an activist's role. You know, an activist is saying, I'm being deliberate about what I'm doing here. You know, I'm standing up against something, I'm resisting something, and I'm, I'm creating an alternative or suggesting an alternative path or whatever. That's a role. But your role, if you choose to be apathetic or choose not to be involved, the role that you're playing is no less, has no less of an impact. They're both powerful. One is deliberate. Actually, that's not true. Both are deliberate. So my role as an activist and in being involved with all these things that are going on in politics and the role of someone else that says, I'm not involved with politics, both of our roles are equally impacting. They're both collecting or, or contributing to like, this collective consciousness and to our reality. They're both deliberate. You know, may not want to be involved, and I'm assuming, you know, in that regard, that person would not, but they're playing a role. I'm simply saying you can't be an effective advocate for peace while your head is in the sand about politics or world events or while you're choosing to do what you think is setting the game out, even though it's not. It's still playing a role. Uh, you can't effectively be a positive force if you're 
if you've chosen to disconnect yourself from the circle of humanity and the planet, which unfortunately involves politics, does. As an example, I do this in, as a brand consultant, a brand developer. I often, you know, I'm, I'm problem solving, I'm, I'm strategizing and so on in, in that field. So I, I, I'm dealing with big problems. You know, my work with USAID and things like that that I've done over in Africa, there's a problem to be solved. How do we solve it? Sometimes they're huge problems, you know, like microfinance or something like that. Like, how do we fix this microfinance issue that's going on in Kenya, for instance? Let's boil it down. Take a macro problem and boil it down to a micro kind of situation comparatively. Let's discuss it as if instead of it, instead of it being a world issue, let's just say it's in your family. That's it. And then we'll scale it up to local community, society as a whole, and so on. If you're part of a family, you play a role in that family. Your role may be unintentional, but it's still a role. You may not be that involved. You're still playing a role. You know, you're that guy on the couch that doesn't say anything or whatever. That's a role. People talk about that or whatever, and it, it's still a, a, an equal role. It may be reluctant, you know, if you are playing a role more deliberately. And you may have no idea how you're influencing what's happening around you. I think a lot of people don't. Your presence plays a role, even energetically. If you really care about what's going on, you resolve to be intentional about your role. Even when you understand the weight and risk of your deliberate involvement, you know, you're being intentional about it and, and you understand what's going on. You say, I care enough to do it something. I care enough to get involved with Susie's divorce or, or whatever and that discussion and the emotions she's going through or whatever. I care. You know, when you see a problem, you either choose to actively engage in helping to solve it or ignoring it or denying it or any other number of ways you can choose to deal with it or not deal with it or whatever. If you simply choose not to be involved, you still have made a significant contribution to the situation. I'm obviously hammering that one a bit because I think that's one that comes up more often than anything else. Everything is interconnected. Everything is interconnected. If something is out of alignment, everything is effective. So your choice not to be involved in, okay, we can move back to politics, is similar to choosing to be, a, it's just saying I'm going to be a broken spoke in the wheel, which is reliant on all spokes working all spokes being involved. So this is a micro example of society as a whole. Either you truly you know, believe everything is interconnected or you don't. But if you do, you can't simply choose to operate outside the collective consciousness. A choice not to be involved with politics, with the world's maladies, things around you, is a choice to play a role in perpetuating those problems that you see in society. Let me say that again. If you simply say, that's not my problem, or I don't want to be involved, you're failing to embrace the fact that everything is interconnected. It is. So you can't simply choose to sit this one out. It's part of why you're here. You chose to be part of this gig. You have a role to play. And you can be deliberate about it now, or on the next round, <laughs> I guess. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're paying attention, you'll see problems in society, I think. I, I, don't, I don't see how you couldn't. There are more, you know, the more conscious you become, the more you'll actually notice some of these things, these, uh, these things that are out of alignment. You know, then it's up to you to find a balance as to how you participate in that little dance of compassionate acts. But please understand you're playing a role, whether it's intentional or not. Okay, so let's talk about social agreements. This is something that I talk about a lot when I'm talking about philanthropic activist type of efforts. Our society is governed by social agreements. Like money, let's say. Or economics, however you want to term it. We decide that today a little piece of paper or a set of numbers, rather, you know, on a computer represents a certain amount of money. It's got a monetary value to it. It's not a fact. It's not like gravity. It's not a fact. <laughs> it's just an agreement. I think we forget that sometimes. In the United States, the masses support the choice of capitalism as our economic agreement. It's a choice. There are certainly other countries that don't use the same sort of capitalism that we do. 
we support that choice with our lifestyle choices and political involvement or <laughs> decision not to be involved, as well as our choice to play the role of giving up our power to the powers that be. And let's just say the powers that be. I'm not talking about some conspiracy theory, but you know, the people that are orchestrating things, typically on the corporation level, higher up than the government. Obviously, many other countries, you know, choose to do things differently. But we've decided in America that we're going to support this system through the way that we live. Every day we say, well, this is the way things are, so I'm just going to keep doing it that way. Or you say, I'm going to buck the system a bit and, and do it differently. You know, I certainly do with our family. But there are certain other things that we do that are just as in line with capitalism as anyone else. So I recognize my role in that. We, as a society, decided at one point that speed limits were a good idea. At least for the most part, you know, we abide by them. We abide by that agreement. There's a little tiny, comparatively anyway, there's a little tiny line down the middle of the road, white or yellow, depending. And that line is just a drawn line on a piece of pavement. And we all agree not to cross over it into oncoming traffic. Again, I'm making a generalization here, but on the whole, we agree not to do that. And we have faith in that. As we go down the road, you know, we, we have faith that some stranger isn't going to come over the line into our area and run us off the road. A lot of people, you know, we have these weird places that we have faith in things and, and other places that we don't. But that's a social agreement that we have. We just agree that that line means that. And, and there are, these aren't necessarily natural elements. Capitalism and lines and roads and speed limits and things like that. And the list goes on, obviously. There are agreements that we've made, we've created to uphold a society because we feel that they serve us well. And I think that's excellent. And we need to constantly then revise and review, review and revise whether or not they continue to serve us well over time. We've had amendments from time to time, minimally, but to our constitution. We have executive orders that come out through a president and so on. Sometimes things need to be reformed. There was a time when women couldn't vote. Black folks couldn't vote. We had, you know, we agreed at one point that it was a good idea to have a slave. You know, now we don't. We change those things. But these are social agreements. Uh, you know, and our po politicians are there to write policies and, and to lobby and, and do whatever they got to do to create support for, for these agreements, to put them into action, to uphold them, and so on and so on. Social agreements. If, just as a side note, you know, my hope is that through shows like NEP Radio and others, that we will get the information out there that will help people alter their perspective, to root their perspective interconnected, in interconnectedness, in love, and that alignment with source. My hope is that as people do that more and more, they will begin to create new priorities. They will begin to create new standards, new values. You know, our values and standards actually is what brings us our priorities, I think. And as we have new values and priorities and so on, as that spreads, a desire emerges for new social contracts that are in line with those values. So that's part of the role that we're playing. That's part of the role that I'm intentionally playing by creating this show and, and other things that I do is in hopes that by, you know, helping, you know, contributing to this global consciousness and giving tools and ideas and inspiration, hopefully, that people will start to change their perspective and that will change some of their values and, and their, their priorities and that will help to contribute to new social systems that are rooted in interconnectedness and justice and love. Okay, let's talk about experiencing God. God, source, Wakan Tonka, if you are coming from the Lakota beliefs. It's all referring to this, what I believe is this ineffable force of love, pure love. And when I say ineffable, I mean it. So 
I'm not going to sit here and try to describe it. I believe we experience source most profoundly through the act of emotion and emotion of loving others. That's when I experience God. I mean, through loving someone, that feeling deep inside you, that deep love that I feel for my wife or for my child or my children, that acts as a conduit for me to truly experience God, which I believe, again, is that ineffable force we call love. But I don't want to fall in love with love. I want to fall in love with the experience of touching God through the act of loving another. And often that comes through an empathetic situation where contrast is involved to the point that sometimes it brings tears to our face because we can't, we're so overcome with emotion at what's going on here. This terrible thing has happened, yet this palpable connection has happened as a result of it between me and this other person or whatever's going on. I think that it's closely tied with the emotions that we experience when we hurt for someone else, you know, that kind of feeling. Uh, It's the same space inside us where we hurt and experience pain that, you know, that we feel love and joy and peace. It's in that same kind of reservoir there. You know, so again, as I said before, as we expand one, we're expanding the other. You know, what we feel is that power of the universe, the power of God, that Christ consciousness within us. And the interconnectedness of humanity and nature and spirit, all of that, that that's what we're tapping into. It's, we're tapping into our interconnectedness to all of these sources. The intensity opens us up and expands our hearts. It allows us to tap into the profundity of interconnectedness. That's powerful. I've spent a lifetime having experiences that have pushed me to the limits, that have challenged my resolve. And, and that have opened my heart to such a degree that it's blown my mind at times. And, and I think that seeing some of the, you know, the horrible inhuman, inhumanities that I've seen, that I've experienced, has also helped me to be, you know, obviously it's helped my perspective. You know, having that kind of perspective, you know, when I look at, most of the world's problems, they look pretty petty comparatively. So that's been helpful. But it's also helped me just in understanding, well, again, building my capacity for joy. So because of some of those experiences I've had, I've also had other experiences where I felt more joy than what I could have ever experienced before. It's powerful. Again, a testament to our interconnectedness. Let's go into some of the realities here about, for instance, politics. And, you know, let's get back to the discussion about your involvement in politics and compassionate acts. I think most Americans are still under the delusion that, that public opinion is what influences policies and politicians and so on that they would uphold. Uh, fair enough. I mean, it was created that way. 
Our forefathers had that in mind. But they also warned us of times that we're in now where we can see, you know, there were some caveats there, many of which we're kind of experiencing now. You know, it hasn't been that way, the way that it was created for a very long time, arguably for the last 60 years or so. That's another discussion. I recently read a study conducted by Princeton University about the influence of public opinion on policy and lawmaking. And I quote, The preferences of the average American appear to have only a minuscule, near zero, statistically non-significant impact upon public policy. All right. At least we know where we stand. You can see all the graphs and, and everything there. There's an organization called represent.us that I've been following for a long time. They have a, a video on their, on their site that gives, it's like a little five-minute video that articulates kind of the essence of all that went on in that study. Then you can also read the study as well. Uh, and then there is a, uh, another five-minute video that describes their petitioning for the Anti-Corruption Act, which is starting at a state level and moving up to the federal level and sort of uh, organically changing the agreement, that social agreement. It's, it's coming up from within, from the people, influencing local community, local politics, and then working their way up to federal level and so on. It's a beautiful, beautiful plan. It's very strategic. It's very non-bombastic. It's not your kind of crazy activist maneuver or whatever. It, it makes a whole lot of sense. I hope that you'll check it out, represent.us. Uh, check it out, and, and if you want to be involved, then I hope you'll go there and check it out. Watch the videos. Support what they're doing. They, they talked a lot about uh, how the big corporations, the wealthy and the elite, major corporations and so on, have been found to have a huge, profound influence over policies and laws. Given the fact that our government and politicians are working for corporations rather than we the people, and we've just kind of seen this here, I would think that that would be a big concern. And we see that happening all the time. We certainly saw that happening at Standing Rock. It's still happening now. And there are farmers being run off their land. I watched a video today you know, on Young Turks about that. The farmers, just these local farmers, these guys we love, you know, it's not even, I think people have a hard time saying, oh, well, these are Indians over here and there's some of the, you know, they've got that savage label and all the other ridiculous stuff that was pinned on them back in the day. How about a local farmer? How do you feel about a local farmer? Just, you know, Jim in his overalls with his rubber boots trying to make a living. That guy is also being run off of his land because the government comes in and says, we're taking this, claiming it for Rome. <laughs> we're going to use this for oil. And it, it's, that's sad. I think it's worth standing up and saying, that's not cool. That's not okay. We can do better than that. We don't have to fight and throw, you know, <laughs> Molotovs <laughs> cocktails. We don't have to do any of that. We can just say, that's not okay. We can stand up for it. Stand up for those people. It's a real people. You know, all that is required to perpetuate this is for all of us to keep quiet, keep our heads in the dark, be complacent, and decide, eh, that's not my problem. I've got my thing going on here. I've got other things to tend to. You know, if you're not concerned about the way that we're organizing ourselves as a society, and the way that our society, being the most influential in the world, affects other countries and those societies, you know, then, then there's that. If you can honestly say that that's not a concern, then okay, I don't know that I could influence that. But I would venture to say <laughs> that you don't feel that way and that you do see problems. I'm saying if you recognize it, you're no longer ignorant. Perhaps it's time to be a little bit more involved. At that point, you know, not only are you complicit in, in that apathy, it's also, you know, an opportunity that you're missing out on to connect more deeply with humanity, to expand your capacity for joy, to further your self-actualization. You know, as a philanthropist, I'm inclined to attempt to influence other people, you know, to dive deeper into the human experience, to connect with your highest self, to tap into that Christ consciousness within you, to tap into love, to align with love. 
you know, I'm from that perspective. I hope that you change your lifestyle and that people change their lifestyle, that the people are inspired, you know, and that to, to live differently, to live by a similar ethos is what I'm articulating here and, and that that ripples out across the world. And I believe that many of the maladies of this world, you know, will begin to heal organically from the inside out without us just going around and creating wars and, and, and creating, you know, or even, you know, doing the aid and, and things that we do to put out fires. But some of these things should be able to heal organically. You know, we shouldn't have to fight for freedom and justice. We could instead foster a society of freedom and justice. We just need to heal our minds, our perspectives to align with love. I think it's the only way to foster equality, harmony, you know, balance, the peace that we're looking for, all of that, that comes from there. We're going to close this thing up now for this particular round. But before we do that, I want to take you on a little journey. I want you to think of a time when you gave to someone else, when you decided to help someone else. You came into contact with someone that needed your help. It could be anyone, family member, friend, stranger, whatever, someone in the streets, a situation at your church or a, a homeless person or whatever. Maybe it was as intimate as a, a spouse situation. Someone that was dealing with depression, a loss of a loved one, whatever the case may be. Go back in time. Try to remember that moment when you were navigating the transition from inaction, not being involved, to being involved and saying, I am going to get involved here. There was a moment or a series of them. The point is not to pin the moment, but there, there may have been a series of moments where you had to decide if you were going to allow yourself or not to get involved, if you were going to take the risk to go out on a limb, to go deeper. You know, it could be a long-term involvement, investment kind of thing, or something as simple as just reaching in your pocket and, and getting some cash for a homeless person or whatever. But there was a time when you made a decision there. You said, I am going to do this. It doesn't, I'm a little scared. It goes against my better judgment. But I think it's the right thing to do. It needs to be done. Or maybe the feeling was no one else is going to do it, so I have to. Maybe you didn't feel that you had a choice. Maybe it was, you know, it felt obligatory. Like, I've got to do this. I've got to take this risk. No one else is going to do this. No one else is going to help Bob over here. You know, he's the cousin that nobody ever helps, and he's always in trouble. You made the decision. You did it. Okay, now think about the emotions that you had to process through. Think of the doubts that you had beforehand and all the excuses that you could have made. You say, oh, well, this will probably happen and this will probably happen. I don't want to get involved because this is likely to happen and so on and so on. Or I've done this before. Uh, this is going to be the same. There were fears involved there, you know, that, that may have turned into regrets later on. But for whatever reason, you know, you pushed through it. You pushed through into this journey and you were on this journey together. There were daily conversations or maybe there was time in between where you had doubts and you felt like maybe that person wasn't doing what you had expected them to do or hoped they would do. There was all these emotions that were involved on that journey. Not only for you, obviously, but for them. You were there to help them. You know, and then you probably had, like any normal human being, expectations. You had expectations of what would happen or what should happen. You went out on a limb, again, maybe against your better judgment because you felt it was the right thing to do. And you got involved and you went on a journey. And maybe it was 30 seconds in a parking lot, you know, giving money to someone. Maybe it was years but you went on a journey. Maybe it turned out well. Maybe the person actually went on to do all the great things that you expected and hoped for. 
and you're glad you did it. And you experience some joy from that. Think about that joy. I have that experience with my son, Francois. You know, I adopted him when he was 10 on the streets in Rwanda. I was living there. And we lived there in Rwanda and then Kenya for 10 years together. <laughs> the joy I felt from that is, I, I can't describe it. But I've had other situations where it didn't go well. Where my expectations were shattered. And I was attached to those, unfortunately. And it didn't go the way I thought it would. It didn't turn out exactly like I wanted it to. They didn't handle it properly. Maybe it was something I gave them, or maybe it was money I gave them, or maybe it was just in time investment or relational or whatever. It's easy to feel like, you know, that was a bad call. I shouldn't have done that. I won't do that again. You know, when it doesn't work out right. It, you you want to say, you know, see... I knew it. I knew that was going to be bad. I knew that was going to go down wrong. <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have gotten involved. You know, now I lost this or I lost that time or I'm angry, whatever it is. Now step outside of that for a second. You know, as painful and as trying as it may have been for you, even reflecting back on the stories that you may have told people around you to say, you know, well, this didn't work out because that person didn't do what I expected or that person didn't do this or didn't do that. You know, that process that I went through was a failure. That benevolent act was a failure. Regardless of how it met your expectations, regardless of if you feel the person actually benefited or not, let me ask you this. Do you feel that it was an experience that expanded you? Did it stretch you? Did it help you let go of expectations and outcomes? Did it reveal a deeper level of your character? Did it show you something about yourself that you didn't know before? Did it reveal more of your character? Did it teach you another level of patience and if it did is that valuable did it force you into a situation where you had to exhibit more unconditional love than you're used to is that beneficial did you learn lessons valuable lessons along the way Lessons that you would not have learned otherwise, or very likely would not have, because you weren't pushed to those limits. Now, this exercise could go on and on, obviously. But I want to ask, I mean, do you believe that that experience helped you or hindered you on your journey towards self-actualization and alignment with love? When you reached out, regardless of the outcome for the recipient, and that's another discussion. You know, we don't want to <laughs> neglect the outcome for the recipient. That's very important. But for this particular discussion, I'm talking about your involvement. Did you experience something deeply human in that moment? And maybe if you didn't then, could you look back now through this particular perspective and realize that maybe you did experience something deeply human and you didn't even notice it at the time? Did it change your perspective of the world? Do you now have that, you know, that, that grouping of tools in your toolbox because you, you understand, you see the world differently because you had that experience with that person or that event or that experience of whatever kind? Are those experiences valuable to you? Have they helped craft who you are? Are they part of you now? Are they part of you that you wish wasn't here? Are they part of you that you can look back and say, you know what, as painful as that was, as humiliating as that was, as much time as it seemed that it sucked out of my life, was it valuable? Can I look back at that and say that was valuable? And then the question at that point is, are those lessons valuable enough 
to be something that you would be willing to engage in again. Now, I'm not saying that you need to just dive in and become the, the activist that you know, goes around the world and gets involved with everything and you need to set up your activism accounts and things like that online. I'm not saying that at all. I think that it's just important to keep diving into situations. And I think that Source, the universe, will, will pull us in that direction when we need to. That We will know in that moment. I think we always know when we tap into our intuition, that gut level feeling. Is this something I should be involved with or not? And even if you're wrong, <laughs> God will sort it out. It's just the way it works. It's interconnected. There are infinite possibilities of reality out there. And in each moment, we are choosing which one we're going to live. I don't think there's a right or wrong situation there. The question is, do you want to be involved in experiences and so on that bring you closer to God? That bring you closer to that human experience that help you see things through new eyes, that expand your ability to love. I think that there is a balance. And I think that part of our existence on this planet, in this human existence, is to experience these things, to engage in these things, to allow certain levels of contrast to come into our life and to analyze it, to observe it, not to focus on it, but to observe it and to say, how can this teach me? And I think it's always presenting an opportunity for us to do what, you know, what I have studied for so long in the, in the Course in Miracles, to ask yourself, Holy Spirit, God, Source, how can I look at this differently? How can I view what's happening here differently? If you're in a you know, in, in these wonderful, blissful kind of situations on an ongoing basis, sitting on the beach or whatever, and that's my happiest place. Why would I ever be in a situation there where I would be forced to say, how can I view this differently? I don't want to view it differently. That's a beautiful scene. But when I'm in situations of a contrast, I have that opportunity. It draws me closer to God. If nothing else, I think we need to shock the system every now and then, shake the tree. It's how we grow. It's part of our red road journey. The maladies of the world are here to teach us. Serving the poor, you know, experiencing their life just for a moment, who, whatever group of people or individuals, whatever it is, that's here to teach us. It's here to let us experience God, that feeling of love and wonder and mystery. It's here to provide us with an opportunity to feel deeply, to explore who we are and what we're made out of. Without that contrast, I think we fail to truly evolve, to align ourselves with that force, love. We cannot allow ourselves to be overwhelmed or consumed by the maladies of the world. And we cannot allow ourselves to disconnect emotionally from humanity, our planet, our interconnectedness. It goes against our human design. It causes us turmoil. We feel empty. We feel, we sense the disconnectedness. When, our, when we're out of alignment with that interconnectedness, we feel it, we sense it. We may not know what it is, but it doesn't feel right. It feels off. We fill our lives with busyness and projects, endless projects, and habitual consumerism, and all these kinds of things that we, <laughs> we've kind of put in our, instituted in our lives as some sort of therapy to get us through it. But it doesn't last. It's not real. It just sucks us, you know, in further and further and further into being out of alignment and I, I think we have to find a balance I hope that this discussion offers a balanced perspective I hope you'll allow yourself 
the experiences, environments, and information that will connect you with the world, that will make you uncomfortable enough, you know, that will spur you towards self-actualization, towards alignment with spirit, humanity, nature, love. Take the risks. Let go of that attachment to the outcome and let the giving be the gift. It's a gift to you, just as much as it is to the recipient. I know this discussion has been a, a heavy one, but it's one that I am very happy to be engaged with. And I'm, I'm at more peace with this discussion, I think, than I've ever been before, and I think able to have a better discussion about it consequently. And we're going to continue this. In the next episode, we're going to toil with some questions about, you know, is peace possible? And what does peace even look like at this point? I mean, do we even know? How is my lifestyle contributing, you know, to or, or complicit in the propagation of war and, and injustice and bigotry and economic inequality and all the destruction of our planet and things that we talk about all the time and we see, in, you know, across the media? Who are the organizations and people and practices that I should, you know, be part of or to boycott or to protest or whatever it is? Uh, you know, how can I ensure that I'm not inadvertently supporting them through my lifestyle choices? And I think that's the most important part. You know, self-actualization implies a deliberate lifestyle, one that is not in conflict with our earth, with the flow of our universe. If I want to be more of an activist or a philanthropist, how do I become more of a force for positive change through my lifestyle, vocation, or, you know, initiatives? What organizations, movements, or initiatives can I follow and support in an effort to be part of our you know, of a movement for peace and equality. And so much more. I'm very excited to be putting this series together. I'm even more excited that you're listening to it. I hope you'll engage with me again through comments section uh, on the website. I, I very, very much want to hear your thoughts on this. And I'm very excited about doing the next episode. I've already got it all mapped out. And there are a few more after that. Thanks so much for holding a space for love and freedom with me today. If you appreciate the Inipi ethos and want to help inspire others to align with love, I hope you'll share this podcast with those you care about. You know, listen to us, rate us on iTunes. Reviews and ratings help us grow the audience. It's very much appreciated. I wish you peace on your journey. May you align with love and let your life speak. Mitakuyeo Yasin.